Hear the words of Jesus. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches those commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must be must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. 
And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the, and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing this? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing? What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do this. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus goes on. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they stand and love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their sins, your father will not forgive you yours. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that no one will... So that it will not be obvious by men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Heavenly Father, God, we ask for you to speak to us through your scriptures today. God, today we begin a new journey learning about how to win in life and your scripture guides us in that. God, you have freedom planned for us. And Lord, I pray that as we learn how to to dive in your scriptures, we unpack this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, as we dive in and, and kind of uh, pull nuggets out of there, pull wisdom from there. Father, I just pray that you do a great work in us and in this body of believers. Today, Lord, we, we begin this journey just trying to hear from you and understand what it looks like to have a winning life in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would guide us in that. I pray your scripture just speak clearly and loudly to us today. And over the next several weeks as we just uh, live in this passage of Scripture. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to need your help this morning as we begin. Now, first service was really good. And, uh, you know, they came early. They came at 10 o'clock. So you all should be awake by now. You've had plenty of coffee and ready to go. So I'm going to need a little participation, have a little fun activity for us to do. I, I need to know if you ever lost an athletic competition. I mean, you played organized sports, you lost on the kickball field, whatever it is. You ever lost on a, a sporting event, would you stand up? You've got to be honest now. All right. Now, some of you are not standing participating, so that means you either never lost or you're just like, I'm going to watch, or I just my body doesn't let me do that. That's okay. We'll give grace where grace is needed. All right, go ahead and sit down. All right. Now, if you have ever been in a sporting event and you've won, go ahead and stand up if you've ever won a sporting event. You didn't know you come to church. We're doing, a, we're doing a calisthenics here today. I will never forget the time when I was eighth grade basketball championship and we won, and in the locker room we were blasting. We are the champions. You don't want me to sing it, but we did. We blasted it, and I sang. It was terrible. Go ahead and sit down. Um, uh, what about this one? Because some of you go, well, sports is not my thing now. You know, maybe back in the day it was, but not now. Um, what about if you've ever won at a table game? Like, you know, Monopoly or playing cards? Go ahead and stand up. You ever won any kind of table game? Look at Brandon's back there. I'm up. I win. I'm the champion. I love it. Jumping right up. Okay, go ahead and sit down. Um, you guys are getting the point of this, aren't you? You're, you're catching on. We're getting exercise. I want to make sure you get exercise. What about you ever lost? You ever lost a table game? Monopoly, cards? What, you ever lost? Go ahead and stand up. Some people are really honest. I like it, Linda. Linda's like, I lost. I've done it before. Go ahead and sit down. Um, th- this one's a little bit more challenging. This probably won't fit all of us. What about um, if you're in a world where they set goals at your work, and uh, I don't know if it's sales goals or, or whatever it is, but they set some goals, and if you ach- accomplish the goals, hey, there's some prizes. In other words, you've won. 
If you don't accomplish the goals, then you haven't won. You've got to keep working harder. So if you've ever won like a sales goal or some kind of goal that's been set at work, uh, stand up. You accomplished it and you got whatever the bonus was or a TV or whatever they give you. All right, a lot. That's great. Okay, go ahead and sit down. What about uh, those of you who, who they've set goals for you and you tried and you strived and, and you didn't quite make it? You failed. You, you lost, so to speak. Stand up. You had goals before you. like, I didn't reach it. Okay, a little bit less in here. Okay, that's good. All right, go ahead and sit down. Um, here's a good one. What about, you guys ever go to, the, you go to the fair and they have all those crazy games? I'm not a fair person. My wife just laughed out first service because when we were living in Philly, Ohio, I got introduced to the fair. I grew up with a lot of cement around me and everyone went to the fair. And uh, we went to the fair and I was introduced to all the animals and it was like a new world for me. Um, but anyway, you go to the fair and they have those crazy games, you know, pay $10, you get to throw th- uh, three balls and knock down the cans. If you do, you get to, you know, you win a big stuffed animal or amusement park, or whatever. If you ever won one of those things, stand up. You ever been in, oh my goodness, you guys are good. I don't understand you people. I don't, because here's, go ahead and sit down. Here's my philosophy. I'm going to the amusement park. I don't care if it's for my wife or my kids or whatever. If I win, then we got to carry around whatever that crazy item is. And I don't want to carry it around. And I don't want you to carry it around. Because if you say you're going to win, then I'll end up carrying it around. I'm going to leave it behind. I feel like I really waste my money. How many of you are lost? Stand up if you've ever lost at one of those things. You all are fools. You don't know how to spend money wisely, do you? <laughs> I mean... I've, I've lost two at those things. Go ahead and sit down. Here, here's, here's this kind of wrap this little shenanigans up, okay? If you, uh, if you prefer losing over winning, all right, you, like last, yesterday my son had a baseball game. You know, if you went to your child's baseball game and you're like, man, I really hope they lose, <laughs> okay? Seriously, some people maybe have that philosophy. That you have to be bold in here right now. If you prefer to lose instead of win, stand up. Okay, so you're either not being honest or, or you just really feel like, I don't want to lose. Most of us want to win. Okay, what about um, if you prefer to win? You like you go to the games. Now, I'm, I'm highly competitive. If you know me, you know I like to win. No matter what it is, I want to win. I lost to my son yesterday playing a game of cats in the cul-de-sac. Oh, I hated it. And, you know, I just I don't like to lose. And, uh, and so some of you are like that. But if you would prefer to win instead of lose, stand up. If you prefer to win instead of lose, stand up. Okay, now if you you're not participating, I'm going to, I'm going to talk that up to Grace. Okay, and that you just need you can't stand up and down. Okay, so most of us in this room, it looks like says I want to win. Go ahead and sit down. I, we have a lot of people in here who want to be winners. So if you want to be a winner, then I'm telling you, you're going to want to be here for this series and stay with us on this journey. We're going to spend some time. And I say we because I'm going to do some teaching. Kyle's going to teach some. Warren's going to come and preach a Sunday or two and share with us. We're going to, using the text of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to dive into how can we be winners at life. We all agree just now, I'd rather be on a winning team than a losing team. And most of us can look back at history and say, well, I can remember when. I remember when I was on that team. I remember when we won a championship. I remember when we won that competition. A lot of us can do that. And then we get into life and life gets busy. And sometimes we forget that we really kind of enter into competition. Life is kind of a competition that we're battling daily. Are we going to win at life or are we going to lose at life? 
And I want to give us kind of a direction and a guide and, and lead us into Scripture that shows us how to win at life. Matter of fact, John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, Jesus says, I have come so that you can win and you don't have to be defeated. So Jesus said, I have come so that you can be on the winning team, not the losing team. That's what his message is. And I think we as the church, as individuals in this community, in this culture, in this world today, we should be the ones that should be living life so excited because we're on the winning team. And living that daily. Now, as we wrestle into this series, I, I want to give us kind of a working definition of the word win. Because depending on who you talk to, you know, and how you say that, well, win, I just beat you. It's so much better than, it's so much bigger than that. To win is to succeed by striving or effort. It takes effort to win. And what we're going to start teaching and showing you today, it takes effort. You're not going to be able to just show up on Sunday and say, well, yeah, I'm here on Sunday. Go ahead. We'll sing a couple songs. Preacher and preach. Go home and do nothing with your walk with God the rest of the week and feel like, hey, I'm winning. Not going to be able to do that. It's going to take some effort. Matter of fact, I, I remember growing up and doing sports. Man, we worked our tails off. Worked our tails off in the gym. Worked our tails off in a weight room. Worked our tails off shooting free throws and, and trying, to, trying to do a good job. Matter of fact, if you think about the, the University of Kentucky Wildcats, who were 38-1, so close. That didn't happen by accident. Those boys didn't just roll out of bed one day and say, I'm going to be a great basketball player. Let's just go. No, they've worked their tails off. Why are they at the top of their game with college athletics? Why do we have seven Seven of them say, I'm going to the NBA. Because they've worked their tail off to be winners. They've put in the effort. They're there early in the morning. They're doing the running and the shooting. The part that we don't see, we just see the TV part. We don't see all the hard work and all the hard effort that are going in. The, the blood, the sweat and tears. And I want to tell you, if you want to win at the game of life, it takes effort. You cannot just continually float through life and think, well, i just keep on floating and I'll be a winner. The word win to gain victory, overcome an adversary. Do we have an adversary? Absolutely. I mean, John 10 says that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want us to win. He wants us to be losers. He wants us to be losers. And so there's a balance. There's a, there's a battle going on. Live with Jesus and win. Or lose to the adversary. And a lot of it comes down to choices that we make. So I want to spend a few moments talking with you about making some choices. Today, I just want to set up where we're going today. We had a staff meeting the other day, and it's, it's fun sometimes because we get into opening up a text. We sat and read all three chapters just like we just did with the church. And we did that, and it's kind of sometimes a light bulb moment. I don't know if you had that as we were reading. When you look at a whole large section of Scripture, and you hear it as a whole versus just one or two, three verses, there's sometimes like a light bulb moment that goes off. We kind of had that moment, and then Kyle and I and Warren were discussing this sermon and preparing. And, and so some of this comes right out of that discussion that I'm going to share with you today. I wish we could have the kind of video camera. Like, man, we should have videoed this and then could have shared it, kind of the, the live discussion going into this. But we started talking about how do we make decisions? What goes into your decision-making process? And so Keith's going to bring this up. We're going to put this up on the screen. Um, I think sometimes one of the things that helps us to make our decisions is just our good old conscience. I mean, what do we, what do we think about? And, and what's going on inside of our head that just makes us um, just go on and, and make decisions? Is how, is how do we do that? 
And sometimes it's just a gut feeling, just a conscious work inside. Sometimes it's our experiences. Sometimes we look at our experiences and we go, well, I tried it that way before. And so this next time I'm going to try it differently. And so I'm going to go over here and do this different. And sometimes just by experience or sometimes it's by experiences of other people. We say, well, mom or dad did it this way. And because they did it this way, I'll follow that and see their experiences. Sometimes what goes into our decision making is our traditions. Sometimes our traditions, just out of traditions of things that happen, and because things that happen on tradition, we just continue on down that path. Now, most of us probably don't stop and sit back and go, well, how do I make decisions? But you start thinking about it, and you start analyzing, and you're going, yeah, I kind of did, kind of maybe I, I do these kinds of things. I think about traditions. I think about the story of, of the lady who, whenever she was baking her ham, she had a big old ham, she'd always cut the end off of the right and the left side of the ham, stick it in the pan, and throw it in the oven. And she'd make a ham, and every time it would be kind of dried out. Well, obviously, you cut the ends off, you're going to let all the moisture out of the ham, it's going to dry out. And one time, her friend was over, she was serving ham, and she asked her, why do you cut the ends off the ham? She said, well, that's the way my mom always did it. My mom always cut the ends off the ham. So my mom, that's what she did, and so I just followed her example, and so I cut the ends off the ham. So this girl decided, I better should call my mom and say, Mom, why do you do that? She called Mom and said, Mom, why do you cut the ends off the ham? What, what's going on with that? And she said, well, honey, I always did that because that's the biggest pan I had. Start thinking about it. She had to cut the ends off the hand because that's what fit in her pan. And so this girl just followed the tradition. Sometimes that's how we make decisions. My mom did it. My dad did it. It's a tradition. And so that's what I'll do. For some of us, we make our decisions by looking at the culture. We watch news stations. We listen to talk radio. We listen to talk television. We, we read articles and we read blogs and we see what's going on in our culture. And then we allow that to direct our decision making. For some of us, we go to our good old best friend, Google. And we say, Google, help me out. And I guarantee most of us in this room have done that at one time or another. Well, what is this about? Or what am I going to do on this? I don't know. Let's Google it. My wife and I did that the other day. Lily Grace is having a little reaction to some medicine. I said, I'm not sure. Why don't you Google it? And there she is. Oh, this is what's going on. Okay, what's the decision? Let's call the doctor, you know? And so uh, sometimes we get to go to our good old friend Google for answers. And I hope that as, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you'd rely upon prayer. Go to our Heavenly Father and say, Father, I, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your direction. And all these things lead into our decision-making process, which then when we make decisions, they direct some of who we are and our belief system. And so what happens is we have these kind of things. Our beliefs get shaped, and what we believe directs a lot of who we become. And let me just walk you through that process. We, we believe certain things, and we believe certain things that make decisions off of those beliefs from the things I just mentioned to you. And then what happens is our beliefs direct our thoughts or our feelings, how we feel about things. So if I believe a certain way about somebody or about something or about situation, that starts to direct the way I feel about things. And when I start realizing how I feel about things, that then directs my actions or my behaviors or things that I start to do, the choices that I make. Now, that right there, your beliefs, your thoughts, and your actions, that's counseling 101. Who, who here has counseling background of any kind? You understand? I don't have any counselors. No one counseling background. One. Is that, is that true? Right, Stephanie? Yeah, beliefs, thoughts, and actions. She said, I guess so. I don't know. She said, I'm taking notes. Let's see if that's right. Um, 
But what you believe directs your, your feelings or directs your actions. You say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, okay, if you believe that um, you're overweight and maybe you need to lose some weight, and you start thinking about that, and you start feeling down on yourself, and you start feeling like I need to do something about it, that will direct your actions to either go get another bowl of ice cream because you feel bad, and you're like, make me feel better by having ice cream, or it directs your actions to, you know what, maybe I need to get up and go walk. Does that make sense? And so all of us have that kind of thought process going on, and then what happens is our actions then create habits. So just using that illustration is I feel terrible, I'm overweight, I need to lose some weight, and so uh, it makes me feel better to get ice cream, so every time I have that feeling, my habit becomes go to the refrigerator and get some more food, because that makes me feel better for the time being, or I feel terrible, as my habit is, I, or I go walk, and the more I walk, the more habits get created, and that becomes something that you start to do regularly, and then those habits direct your character. Who? I'm spelling things wrong. Directs your character. And I would say, in terms of character, you want character to be Christ-likeness. We want a Christ-like character. Christ-like character is what you want. And so, I'm catching it. I'm trying. Hold on now. I gave you all some of this a little bit earlier. Those of you who didn't want to stand up, okay? So... You want a Christ-like character. And the question is, how, how do we get there? And I would say that when we arrive at the Christ-like character, walking in Christ, this is when we win. This is a victory. When we know, hey, I'm walking through life and I have all this stuff going on in my life, how do I win? Is when I'm living in a Christ-like character. We read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Do you realize that that describes Jesus? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as you look at that, that gives you the character of who Jesus is. And so as we study these three chapters and dive in, we get a more picture of who Jesus is. And my hope and my goal is that all of us say, I want to be like Jesus. And so being like Jesus then creates the win, which is a Christ-like character. Now now think on this for me, for real real life examples here. Um, How do we make those decisions? May I suggest that one that needs to be in this that we cannot miss is Scripture. This is, I think, the challenge of America. This is the challenge of all of us probably every single day is I look at making decisions, I look at my conscience, look at my experience, look at my traditions, look at Google, look at whoever, friends can put input. But the problem is, is we don't go to this. And the problem why our culture is where today is because we don't have this filter of the Scriptures. And so may I suggest that if we're going to win at life, yeah, you may have some experiences that are good, and you may have some good traditions. Your parents may be absolutely wonderful people and have their best interest in you. Google may bring some good answers. But everything that we want to do in life needs to go through the filter of Scripture when it comes to decisions. Anybody agree with that? We've got to look at the Word. We've got to look at the Scriptures and say, what does the Scripture say? And so if mom tells me this, or dad tells me that, or my friend says this, or the culture says that, or the computer says this, then if it doesn't align with this, it's not a good decision. And I want us to learn how to do that. Think, think of it for a minute. Think, think about taxes. It's tax season, right? They're due this week. A couple days. When it comes to taxes, there are some decisions that we need to make. We know we get a W-2 or a 1099 showing our income. 
But what about the income that maybe you bring in that's through cash efforts? What do you do with that? How do you handle that? Now, you understand, if you make over $600, you're supposed to report that. You're supposed to turn that in and say, hey, I made over $600, and it was cash. But what do we do sometimes? Well, I didn't get a W-2. I didn't get a 1099. Who's going to really know about it? Government already takes enough of my money. So why would I give them any more? And so who's who's going to really hurt if I just hold on to the cash? But if we go through the filter of Scripture, we might make some other decisions. We make some other choices that, again, affect our character. Think about it this way. What about reimbursements? How many have a job where you can turn into reimbursements? How many have that kind of job? Okay, some do, some don't. So if you have reimbursements, especially people like in a sales world, have reimbursements, and you go to a restaurant, take someone out to eat, you go to have hotel expenses, you travel out of town, whatever it is, are, are your reimbursements real reimbursements? Because here's what can happen. Well, let, let's go have lunch together, and uh, hey, we'll make sure my company pays for it. We'll make sure it's a reimbursed expense. Well, how's that? Well, as long as we talk about business just for at least a second, hey, let's sit down. Hey, how's your taxes doing? My taxes are good. Good. We talked about business. Let's eat. Let's talk about basketball and football. Just because we mentioned it, we think, well, I can get the reimbursement. But I think if we go through the filter of Scripture, we may make some other decisions and go, am I really being honest and truthful with my company's money and what the reimbursement policy and procedures are supposed to be? What about this one? And I say this as gently as I can, but it's happening in our culture left and right. It's happening among Christians left and right. Living together before marriage. I have a friend whose sister has not married And this is a tough situation in our culture today. I have a friend whose sister is not married and lives with her boyfriend. Her son uh, has some major health issues, and she receives some medical benefits off of that. And they've lived together for years. Here's the challenge you run into. If they were to get married, they they would lose the medical benefits that the government pays for. See, because our our culture doesn't support marriage. You understand that, right? Our culture does not lift up marriage, does not lift, lift up traditional family. But if we say, I want to win at life, and we look at the scriptures, we may, we may make some different decisions using this as our, as our filter. What, what, about, what about this one? What about homosexuality? That's a big challenge we're facing today. I don't have to say much on that. You see it on the news, you hear about it, you see it in television shows, right and left. It, they say that it is the, one of the major issues that's going to divide the church in the coming years. Because some people land on this side, here's what you do with homosexuality, here's how you handle it, and some land on this side. If we handle that through the filter of Scripture, we'll handle it in, in God's way, in a way He wants us to handle that topic. We're going on this journey, and I want you to learn how to listen and how to to learn and how to live the Word of God. It's going to take us a while. Uh, We're starting out with the Beatitudes. That's going to be nine weeks. And then we're going to continue right on. Typically, in the summertime, I'd preach through a book and use maybe ten weeks because when you're traveling, you're out and about on your vacations, etc., I want you to be able to stay engaged. If we're on a topical thing in the middle of summer, you go, oh, I missed that week or I missed two weeks, you can stay engaged very easily just by being in the Word. And I want to tell you, it's going to take effort. I want to encourage you to be in the Word of God. Matter of fact, the Growth Guide has an exercise in there this week where you open it up and you start reading, and we're going to teach you some tools through the Growth Guide, how to engage in Scripture, how to understand Scripture. If you ever have ever had the challenge of, well, I open my Bible and I read it, but I don't really get much out of it, we're going to teach you how to do that through the summer. 
We're going to teach you how to learn the Word of God, how to live out the Word of God. And so we're going to work through that together. Look at Matthew 5, 1 and 2. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. Now you think of a mountainside. For us, you think about going to eastern Kentucky. I did a funeral one time in eastern Kentucky. It was such a slanted hill that literally I had one foot down and one foot up like this, so I wasn't going to fall off the side of the hill. That's probably not the mountainside they're talking about with Jesus. They're probably talking more about kind of like a cave or a cutout in the rocks because Jesus sat there, and then as the disciples came, and then the crowds came around, that actually was kind of like a megaphone. And so Jesus is sitting here and he's teaching and he teaches them, as we read through, he had several topics of life in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He goes through several of them and he's basically saying, if you want to win at life, you want to have success, then do what I'm saying here. But if you want the adversary to win, then go and do things what the culture says. And actually, to understand this whole passage and to capture it within the context, you need to start backward. You need to start with the end in mind, so to speak. So look at Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great clash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. You get to the very end. So he preached about all these topic things. Hits marriage, hits worry, hits how to handle money. And at the very end he says, if you want to be smart, if you want to win, build your house upon a firm foundation. He's not talking about a physical house. He's talking about your spiritual house. Build upon the firm foundation. And he's saying the firm foundation is this right here and who he is. He says, hey, you want to be a fool? You can do that. Build upon the sand. Because you build upon the sand, what will happen is life comes tumbling down. The house will crash. Did you all see the water behind us last week? If you were here. We had a, a rushing river. <laughs> Literally running through the back of our property. And it's made that way. It's where the floodplain goes. I'm thankful that Center Point Christian Church's building was not built on this right here. Because most likely this may have got washed on down the hill with it. Or if it not, then we'd have doors not opening right. We'd have windows not working right. We'd have all kinds of problems in this place if our house was built upon this. But the church building is built upon this. I was here and watched it. They dug out hole, they put brick down in there, they put cement down in there, and watched as they built a firm foundation. Are you not thankful that this church building is set on a firm foundation? I had my house built nearly 11 years ago by Ball Homes. And I watched as they dug footers, and they put brick in like that, and then they poured cement or concrete walls. I am so thankful they didn't pull play sand out. We would have had problems. I'd have been like, what are you doing? But you know what? We tend to do that with our lives, though. We go, I want my foundation of whatever structure I'm in. But when it comes to our lives, we say, ah, let's just listen to the culture. What does Google tell me to do? That's sand. What does my mom and dad tell me to do? Sometimes that can be sand. What does my friends tell me to do? That can be sand. What does my heart tell me to do? That can be sand. What does my conscience tell me to do? That can be sand. Here's what happens. You build your life upon sand, and it comes crashing down. Build your life upon the Word of God, Jesus says, and you build a firm foundation. So you build a firm foundation, you learn how to be a parent according to the way Jesus wants you to parent. Learn how to build a firm foundation, learn how to be a husband or a wife like 
Jesus wants you to be as a husband or a wife. Learn how to build a marriage on a firm foundation. Learn how to do ministry on a firm foundation. Learn how to live life. Learn how to deal with stress and worry and anxiety and problems that you have building upon the firm foundation. That's the call. Now, you all said when we started out, you wanted to be winners. You'd rather be on a winning team and not on a losing team. Winning takes effort. Winning's going to take effort. So I want to encourage you, put the effort in. Get your Bibles out and open up to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you really want to capture it all, start back about chapter 4 and read all the way through chapter 9. You're going to get a better picture of it. But what about you and your family reading daily or maybe every other day? Hey, let's open up and just read this together and allow the Word just to wash over our mind and our heart. And open up to a different text. I mean, one day you read it in NIV and you got, you got computer technology, BibleGateway.com, or you can use an app on your phone. And maybe the next day, hey, let's read in the ESV version or let's read in the message version and switch it up so you get a better, even larger understanding of what the text is teaching. And let me even say this. Dads, husbands in here, would it not be your desire to see your family win? And I think it should be the desire that we lead out in that as men. Don't sit around waiting for our wives to lead us in spiritual matters. Men, grab the book. Turn off the television and say to your kids, say to your wife, before you go to bed or maybe we get up in the morning, hey, let's start out by hearing from the Word of God so that this is our filter. See, I can preach as many sermons as I want to preach. I, I, I will preach probably for a long time until God takes me home. I, I'll baptize people. Love doing all that kind of stuff. That's exciting and everything. But I have three beautiful children. One's here and two are in the first service. If down the road when they're, when they're 30 and they're 35 and they're 40 and they're 45, if they're not pursuing Christ because I didn't do my job, I've lost. And so men, take the responsibility in your home and say, Honey, we're going to do this. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some adjustment. It's going to take some changing in our routine a little bit. But we're going to engage in the Word of God. And so we have growth guides on a chair. Take one. If you're in a group, use it. If you're not in a group, why not jump into one? If you're not in a group, you're like, I'm not sure where to fit that in. At least use the growth guide for your own personal guidance. And engage in the Word of God. God wants us to live with a firm foundation. A foundation that wins. Not with a sandy foundation that leads to, to losing that life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for this day. We're thankful for your scriptures, Lord. God, I admit that sometimes, too many times, we just set them aside. We don't hold on to them. We sometimes use this book as a bookend or use it as a pretty book on the coffee table. Lord, it needs to be something that uh, we're engaging in every day. Allowing the scriptures to penetrate our heart and penetrate our mind. And so, Father, as we go on this journey, would you uh, instill an effort in us? An effort to want to know your word, or to want to know you through your word, an effort to, to desire you? Lord, help us to overcome where the adversary attacks and tries to distract. Help us, Lord, to be winners. As we go on this journey to, to listen to the word, go on this journey to learn the word and to live the word, Lord, we cannot do it without the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for your spirit to go with us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.